This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to um, Gotham TV Podcast, the home of the hit show Gotham, and also the DC Connectors universe. This week, we're looking at the second part, volume two of the graphic novel Hush, written by Jeff Loeb and with art by Jim Lee. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm Derek, your other host. How are you this week, John? Doing good, yeah. Not been bad. A, been a fun week this week. Uh, Gotham premiered in Ireland this week. Uh, it so did. we had the, had the pilot finally shown to the, to the wider nation. We've been talking about it for... Almost a year now as a TV show, and finally, the our wider friends and family have been watching it. Um, so I've gotten I've gotten a bunch of people from people in work to family contacting me and going, "This show you've been talking about for the last year is great, actually, really enjoyable." So we've got a bunch of new listeners for our for our pilot episode of uh, of the podcast as well, which is great. Yeah, same here. Like in work, people talking about um, the show. Uh, it's on RT two. People seem to have enjoyed it, um, certainly the pilot. It was really interesting watching over the, the pilot again, actually. Yeah, it was. Um, it? And I think it holds up well, to be honest. Definitely. Um, yeah. I think it's a good opener. Yeah. Um, it's strong. It introduces everyone in a nice way, in a good way. Um, and I still think it holds up. Definitely. Um, after the 10 episodes we've watched so far. Definitely. It was great fun live tweeting it on Monday night and getting some uh, some responses from Andrew Stewart-Jones and from some of the other cast members with, uh, with Drew Powell, who was favoriting some of our tweets and retweeting them, and Robin Lord-Taylor, who was retweeting and favoring some of the some of the posts, and Claire Foley, who plays Poison Ivy. Yeah, but that great was, uh, fun. Yeah, so I think we'll be, we'll be re-watching episodes as we wait for the uh, Gotham to premiere again for the second half of the season in, uh, on Channel 5. And that's confirmed now that it will happen in March, although there's still um, no exact date. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, yeah, it's kind of the tension is being drawn out quite a lot by Channel 5. Um, I presume they're waiting to see how they will kind of finish in line with North America again, like they did for the the first half of the the season one of Gotham. Yeah, and as we've said before, they have confirmed it's March, but they've also confirmed that all twelve episodes of the rest of the season will air back to back, week to week for those for twelve weeks. So I'm sure they're just trying to confirm exactly when that will make the show end or when that will be okay for them to not have any breaks in between episodes. That's good. And another new bit of format that we're testing out here with. Um, this episode is we're putting the news now to the end of the episode and normally we'll go straight into um, the review but before we do um, we want to say a big thank you and a big shout out to Sophia from Gotham Originals they're a fan page um, and a fan group on Facebook on Twitter um, really um, good group to, to get involved with um, if you following Gotham and interested in discussing anything about the show really want to say a big thank you for sharing the first um, half of this review uh, volume one hush review that we did um, in our last episode Mm -hmm. Um, to everyone that was really good and also uh, a big thank you to then Cole Vallis who plays Tommy Elliott on Gotham yeah, yeah. He also shared the the episode on uh, on his own Facebook page with his friends and family, and thanked us for talking about him. It's it's no hassle, Cole. He did a great job on uh, on the show, as we talked about. And uh, and yeah, we're delighted that you uh, that you think to share our episode with your friends and family. That was great. Yeah. So thank you so much for for sharing that. 
Also remember that if you've got any thoughts on the episode, um, you can leave a uh, a review. You can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, Player FM, Stitcher, any other good podcast catcher. You can listen to our podcasts on our website as well at www.gothamtvpodcast.com. So more than welcome to um, leave comments, reviews, subscribe. Um, that would be great. Yeah. And make sure you send any feedback into us at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. Um, and again, just before we go into the um, review, so we're kind of drawing it out a bit like Channel <laughs> 5 with the date of um, the start <laughs> of the second half of Gotham. Absolutely. But um, we got some feedback from um, one of our followers on Facebook, on our Facebook page. Um, just search Gotham TV Podcast um, mm-hmm. and you can join us there and like the page. Um, by Dylan Exner, um, he goes, I think you missed a Joker watch in episode 10. Um, the gang that um, Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle, he calls them the Batcat visited, <laughs> um, good term, good term, yeah. reminded me of the Jokers. Um, and also in episode three, then he goes on to say there was some graffiti on the wall that said smile. Yeah. So there's two. Um, we knew about the um, the graffiti on the wall that said smile. I think um, one of our other listeners, Daniel Butcher, had also pointed that out previously. Yeah, I can't believe we missed that. But we did miss it at yeah. the time. And um, so, Dylan, you're absolutely right. Completely missed that. Um, and then with the, the Jokers and, and that gang um, that were kind of taking the money, dealing out the money, buying in goods and so on with them, all yeah. the, the street urchins there in episode 10, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, an interesting idea. It's an mm-hmm. interesting theory that all these could be kind of people that would accumulate into a gang of some sort. Absolutely. And it could be the, the Jokers as well. Yeah, Joker's, Joker's got to get his followers somewhere. Yeah, I know what he means by um, kind of saying that, you know, reminded him of you know some kind of other gang in Gotham not connected necessarily to the mob and mm-hmm. um, they seem a bit more kind of uh, anarchic yep. in that sense so that's kind of interesting uh, street level point yeah. i think that dylan raises so um we'll definitely have to do a, a retrospective joker watch i think and <laughs> um, for our first episode of um the return of uh, gotham on channel five yeah yeah absolutely and um, with that i think we're on to our review of hush volume two All right, John, do you want to give us a synopsis of Hush Volume 2? Um, just quickly, it's, uh, the issues that this covers are uh, issues 613 to 619 of Batman. Uh, as John mentioned earlier on, it's written by Jeff Loeb and with art by Jim Lee. Again, but you can collect, you can collect it in Volume 2 of Hush, or it's also collected in one uh, complete collection of, uh, of Hush Volume 1 and 2. Hope you enjoyed our podcast last week about Volume 1. But John, I'll tell and you I think, volume two. yeah, and I th- also Scott Williams is, I think, the inker That's right. uh, on this. One big thing I will say is that uh, if you haven't read Hush, we're going to spoil everything about it as we go. Um, so stop here, read it, and come back to us. Absolutely. Okay, we're still here. As Batman continues to investigate and track down the mysterious mastermind behind all of the crimes of Batman's adversaries, all claim it is part of a game. In particular, the Joker is unleashed on Batman, killing his boyhood friend Tommy Elliot. As all the events unfold, Batman and Nightwing discover evidence that Ra's al Ghul is possibly behind this grand plot. As they, Batman and Ra's al Ghul, face off, he tells Batman an intriguing clue. 
that someone from his past has desecrated one of the Lazarus pits. Even more disturbing evidence comes to light as events begin to unfold. His ally, Huntress, becomes delusional and tries to attack Catwoman and Batman. Batman's former second Robin, Jason Todd, is seemingly resurrected and attacks the Batman. And finally, a device is found on his computer deep within Batman's base, the Batcave. As events unfold to their conclusion, a final confrontation takes place between Batman and the man behind the bandages, known as Hush. His identity is revealed, but he is not unmasked. As he is shot by a seemingly recovered and allied Harvey Dent, falling into the river to disappear. An unexpected mastermind is finally revealed in the last moments of the story. So really interesting, really interesting. What do you kind of think of, of this volume two of Hush? What's your overall kind of opinion of it? I really liked it. Um, again, it's it builds from uh, volume one. The Volume one was really, for me, the setup. and It gets mm. the intrigue going. Who's the guy with the bandages? There's all this element of friendship and acquaintances which pulls over into volume two. Mm. And now this is the real sort of um, payoff of that where things begin to unfold at a faster and faster pace. I mean, this is an absolute um, rogues gallery, you could argue, um, of of Batman's uh, adversaries, acquaintances. Um, In particular, this second volume really focuses on um, Batman's enemies uh, and his adversaries that come from his past, whereas the first half was about maybe his friends and acquaintances mm. more so um, being sort of resurrected in his mind, him finding new love with Catwoman. Mm-hmm. That carries on. So for me, this is a real good payoff, and it's a great payoff. There is a lot of twists and turns, Absolutely. a lot of bluffs and counter bluffs being played by Jeff Loeb in in this second uh, part of uh, the Hush series. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for me, I, I really enjoyed this um, this book. I've read it a couple of times before. It's been a fi- quite a while since I read it, actually, to be honest. Um, probably a couple of years, but uh, I didn't really remember how many twists and turns were in there. It actually had me questioning whether I was right about the identity of who <laughs> yeah. Hush was, because I think it's it's the the bandages come off three times, I think, or tw- they come off twice in the story. Um, and reveal two different characters that could possibly be Hush. And they're kind of the big cliffhangers of, of each of those issues. And then it gets to the end and there's a different reveal of who it is, essentially. So um, I really do like uh, Jeff Loeb's style. I mentioned it last week. He's uh, He definitely knows how to play within that toolbox of DC. Um, big time. Jeff Loeb's reveals of each of the characters that are that are that uh, that could possibly be Hush were the bandages come off one time and it's um it's Harvey Dent, uh, a newly mended Harvey Dent with no two face anymore. Um now on the side of good. I think it's a huge and brilliant reveal. Um and then the other reveal of Jason Todd, um, who's a character that had been killed in the past and had never returned. Um I think that's a fantastic reveal in, in the book. It's uh, two great ones. And both of them had me thinking, oh, hold on a second, maybe Maybe Harvey Dent is behind this, or maybe it's Jason Todd behind this. Um, so excellent work, excellent and it's work. the trench coat as well. They've, they're all wearing the trench coat. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really good though. Uh, really enjoyed it. Yeah, so I think for me, one of the big twists that comes very early on, and um, Bruce and Selena, um, they go to, and Tommy Elliot as well, go to the opera, mm-hmm. which is kind of gate crashed by one of the first in, uh, introductions of one of. Batman's big adversaries, the Joker and Harley Quinn. Yep. Um, and 
a chase ensues through the opera and across the the roofs by Batman uh, of of Harley Quinn and the Joker, and Tommy Elliot is shot by Joker, yeah, um, or seemingly shot by the Joker, but he dies, um, and Batman is incensed by all of this that's going on. And um, but for me, this was one of the first big twists. This is one of the first points that kind of pulls the rug from underneath my feet in relation to this story because I felt that um, reading volume one, those first five issues, it was really seemed to be pointing you to um, this mysterious bandaged character being Tommy Elliot. You know, there was all this talk about the game, playing chess and so on, mm-hmm. and that it, it, it was Tommy Elliot. And all of a sudden, Tommy Elliot is shot. Yeah, taken um, out. Taken out. Um, apparently by the Joker, um, and to me as well, this is the first big twist, and it then also leads to one of the first big kind of sections of panels for me that is, quite frankly, amazing. I think um, seeing Batman lose his cool um, towards the Joker, oh, yeah. it is pretty, um, it's violent, it's fierce, it's frightening to see Batman on the edge of losing control. He kind of pushes Catwoman aside, who's trying to stop him from doing anything he would not, under any normal circumstance, do. And mm-hmm. um, he knocks her out in the in the process. All these emotions that the Joker uh, brings forward and um, really aggravate the entire situation for for Batman. And he is taking all those years of pain, hurt of the death of Jason Todd, for example, all that pain and hurt out on Joker. And he wants to kill him. It is that point where he says, if I did kill you, none of these horrendous things would happen. Absolutely. Innocent people wouldn't get killed. Maybe I've been too soft almost, is yeah. what he's saying. Yeah. Um, and it takes uh, Jim Gordon to stop him yeah. uh, with a gun to his head. That's how serious it is. To me, this is one of the, the best parts of um, of, of these uh, final seven issues of, of Hush. It's really emotional. It's really um, to the core of Batman um, to an extent. This difference of should he kill or shouldn't he? Or is he just bringing people to justice, which ultimately, in the case of Joker... And other villains yeah. fails because Absolutely. yeah we talk about the revolving doors of Arkham yeah. but they always seem to get off whether it's through claiming insanity or whether just um, because they have you know more connections that they can escape from prison or get off um, uh, from any ju- real justice. Yeah, I think even Robin says it. You know, you sent him off to Arkham. It's going to be you know, I guess it'll be another hour and a half before he gets out. And uh, and in fact. Harvey Dent does actually release Joker very quickly after uh, after he gets into Arkham, doesn't he? Gets him gets him out in a, in a couple of hours by just saying he's he's attorney. He didn't do it uh, and gets him out of Arkham, which is quite amazing. Um, yeah, but I love, yeah, I do absolutely. This is totally one of the one of the one of the moments that I spoke about where it was so shocking to see Tommy Elliot dead on the ground. Uh, Leslie Con- Tompkins is also at the opera with them, isn't she? The, the Doctor Leslie Tompkins, yes, uh, who we're going to see in in the next half of of Gotham. We're gonna Marina see, uh, Baccarat, yeah, yeah. Um, so she's also with them at the opera. She could have saved his life, but uh, which is what I thought was going to happen. I thought it was going to be he's he's dying in the alley, but 
he gets saved by by uh, Leslie Tompkins. Um, but no, he's he's dead, and they have a funeral and they have a body, and you know it's it's one of those things. If you don't see a body, it's probably not dead. But they have a full funeral for this guy, and uh, and off they off they go. So I just assumed, okay, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I misremembered this. Maybe I just assumed it was going to be Tommy Elliot that was Hush. Uh, but yeah, they did a nice a nice couple of reveals there. And I think you also bring up that other aspect, which is from these events we do get to see uh, Harvey Dent um, appear, actually mm-hmm. cooperating with Jim Gordon. Um, he, in this case, is getting. Um, joker out of of arkham he's saying he hasn't done it Mm -hmm. um but at this moment he's wearing a trench coat you are you don't really see his face so much um there is then this next twist of well is it harvey dent who is this mysterious figure Mm -hmm. Um, and again that then tees up this other element uh, of the of the story that sort of progresses it from Tommy um, being killed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The question that now hangs is: Is Harvey Dent hush? Yeah, yeah, and that that lasts for a uh, for a good couple of uh, a good couple of issues, I suppose. Um, until as I, as I as I mentioned earlier on, the other brilliant reveal, Jason Todd, um, where Batman is is kind of forced to go to uh, in fighting with uh, with um, with Hush is forced to go to the uh, graveyard where Jason Todd was buried. Um, this is after the reveal that somebody has used the Lazarus pit, uh, and then they find that uh, and the ma- the bandages are ripped off again, and it's Jason Todd underneath the uh, the former former Robin, um, slightly older looking than than we'd seen him in the previous issues. He's now uh, much much older in age. He's around uh, around thirty kind of age, uh, thirty five kind of age group, I think. Um, but again, I, I was going okay. Well, I guess Jason Todd is hush because there's so many reasons for that, and they give the whole the whole background to it. They give a um, they give a whole detective route as to how Batman could have solved that it was Jason Todd before now if he just played attention to the clues. So I was going, okay, well, I'm totally wrong on this. Um, yeah, they did a brilliant job, brilliant job, and again, great to see that character um back and his interaction with the newer Robin uh, in the book. That's that's quite interesting, where he's kind of saying to him, "You're the pretender. Uh, I'm the real Robin. How did you get this job?" Kind of thing. That's uh, that's really good as well. Yeah, it's a real chilling episode in the comics, and again, another sequence of, of panels where the action and the fighting depicted by Jim Lee is, is really, really dynamic mm. uh, between uh, Batman and uh, and Jason Todd. Again, I think just for people listening, you know, Jason Todd had previously perished during in the events of Batman: A Death in the Family, mm-hmm. and so this is obviously a huge. Um, shock that is seemingly resurrected how has this happened but there's the lazarus pit um explanation there yeah um, but this is all um leads to then again one of the other twists i suppose or reveals uh of of the story which is that Batman, whilst he's fighting Jason Todd, is saying, this is almost too perfect. He knows all these things about me, mm-hmm. um, and he fights the same. But there's a few hints that Batman um, suddenly picks up that this isn't really Jason Todd. Yeah. And it's revealed that it's Clayface mimicking the identity of Jason. And this is one of the other then reveals here is that we find out that Clayface has been involved um, here within this 
elaborate plot that's beginning to be revealed where he's taking on the persona of other uh, people. Yeah. And in this case, we would find out it's it's Jason. Um, and I kind of like that use of, of Clayface for me. Um, now, I'm sure it's been done many times since. I don't know how many times previously um, using Clayface as um, almost a mimic um as how long that's been yeah. done. Yeah. Um, I suspect it could be done or overused if you're not careful. I thought within the context of this storyline, given all the different um, bad guys who are popping up and taking pops at, at Batman mm-hmm. and, and his allies, I thought it was a nice way of adding another villain to that gallery of, of criminals and villains. Um, and it was a great way of using Clayface. Yeah, I suppose for me, it's one of the things that didn't work uh, as well. I definitely liked his, him being Jason Todd. I think that that was really cool. Uh, it was a really good idea. I think the him also replacing the body of Tommy Elliott uh, is mentioned um, later on, that he, he replaced Tommy Elliott for the funeral and uh, and then disappeared afterwards. Um, I just felt it felt a little bit too convenient or too simple to go, ah, sure, it's, it's just Clayface. Like, he could have just been everybody. That would have been the end of the story. Could have been that he was also Joker and also Harley Quinn and also, you know, it just felt a little bit a little bit too much. And I, I do think it's overused as a person who's read a lot of Batman comics or a lot of comics or even played games that involved uh, Clayface where he's always replacing somebody. Just feels a little bit overused. I would have liked maybe even just having a scene with uh, with the actual character where he explains what he what his involvement was rather than somebody else telling you uh, on a completely different scene that he's the one that replaced Jason Todd and replaced uh, replaced Tommy Elliott. Um, just felt there was a little bit a little bit too much maybe uh, for me. Yeah, but we do find then from this that Jason, um, not Jason, Tommy Elliott has also then was replaced by Clayface. So that's a huge reveal. From previous issues, then that it mm. is is brought out that Tommy Elliot wasn't shot there. Yeah. So was Tommy Elliot ever alive? And this then becomes a really interesting uh, point, and various other yeah. things are, are developing around this, such as Huntress, who we saw save Batman in the first um, series of comics, suddenly starts to attack him and Catwoman. She becomes delusional, um, and she's kind of. It's like she's been drugged, and then that introduces um, Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. There's all these different villains being introduced. Um, the Riddler, as well, mm-hmm. is introduced. He's involved in a big bank heist. Uh, and the one thing that Batman picks from all of these um, rogues that he's encountering and who are specifically targeting him, the one thing he does kind of note is that the Riddler's one doesn't seem out of place. Yeah, yeah. That that bank job, the bank heist, seems to be... Um, it's not unusual for the Riddler to be doing this, whereas a lot of the other uh, criminals like Scarecrow, like Killer Croc, like we said from the previous um, episodes, like uh, Joker and Harley Quinn, um, have all been doing certain things that they would never have done yeah. um, in, in the the crimes that they're committing. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. The one connection between all of them, isn't it? That they're that they're not doing what they normally do, except for except for Riddler. But yeah, that, I think that's that's kind of what leads them to realize that that's that there's somebody else behind this. Yeah, and we but we actually find that there's two players and um, two masterminds behind this plot of, of trying to attack 
deep at the heart of, of Batman. Mm. His psyche, um, his relationships, um, whether it's the dead Jason Todd, whether it's with Catwoman, uh, whether it's with the Huntress, whether it's going in um, and manipulating his mechanic, um, Harold, who has added a device to um, the the computer in the Batcave, mm-hmm. you know, really striking at the heart of everything that Batman holds dear to him. Um, and we find out that there's there's two. And the first one we find out um, is revealed on one of the bridges across the river by Gotham as uh, Batman goes to meet Harold because he twigs that this is um, Harold who's who's planted this device in, in the computer. Yeah. And poor Harold, um, I don't really know this character actually. It's um, something that kind of just cropped up and I kind of thought, you know, I've never really heard of this character before. Yeah. Um, I wasn't entirely sure about this trusted mechanic, um, Harold, because of that. But he, you know, he is the trusted mechanic and he was kind of bribed to betray, um, ultimately, Batman mm-hmm. uh, by saying that he would um, have his, def- he's kind of slightly deformed and that they would be corrected and improved. And this is very much now suggestive of Tommy Elliot. Yeah. We found out that Clayface was Tommy Elliot. And we actually then see the trench coat and the bandages. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So it's kind of it's it's really interesting that that's the that you know all the theories that I had were wrong. So even though I knew who I knew the Tommy Elliot was hush from the uh, from opening the first page of the first volume, uh, they tricked me enough into into wondering whether it was or not. And then uh, finally we get the the reveal, or we get it at least announced that it is Tommy Elliot, and uh, and confirmation of why he's doing it. Essentially, um, he's really angry at, at Bruce for telling for allowing his uh, his mother to survive a car crash when he was a kid because he set that all up to uh, to inherit the the family's millions um he's envious of Bruce because Bruce has, has been an orphan and he's had all all that money to play with for those uh, for those decades uh, he doesn't seem to see the that this is what caused Bruce to become the batman this is what caused Bruce caused Bruce to be as angry as he was by losing his parents uh, he wanted to knock them off to get the money, essentially. So yeah, it's uh, it's a real twist on the um, the, the death of the parents uh, story. Obviously, iconically, Thomas and Martha Wayne being shot, mm. uh, and that whole impetus leading to the Batman. This is kind of the the reflection of that, the evil reflection that well, I set up the death, and it was you know thwarted by your dad saving. Um, my mom, yeah, and I've not been able to have access to all the money that my parents had. So it's real evil. Absolutely. I mean, it's really sly, <laughs> um, and that's just a really nice little um, sort of aspect, I think, to their mm-hmm. relationship. That, in in a sense, they volume one suggested that they were, you know, that were different, mm-hmm. and now you realise that they were very different. And yeah. um, he actually is a premeditated murderer, even at a young, tender age. That's really interesting to see in this story. But yeah. he's not actually unmasked, though. We yeah. never. He doesn't take off the bandages because we do. Then he gets shot by um, Harvey Dent. Yeah, yeah. I have to say it. It's it's it kind of annoys me. Um, that you don't get the reveal, or you don't even find out why he's wearing the bandages. Um, they, there's a discussion a bit later on, which we'll talk about, but um, with the other mastermind behind it. But 
Um, who essentially you get confirmation that it's Tommy Elliot. You get told it's Tommy Elliot. Surely Bruce knows his voice, so he knows it's Tommy Elliot. But is there a reason he's wearing the bandages? Is that whole was that whole the person who did the surgery on him with the, who looked like an older Tommy Elliot? Is that Tommy Elliot? Is that what he looks like now? I guess it is. Um, is that what he looks like under the bandages, or is there something wrong with his face? Uh, I don't know. It, it just seemed like a really weird way to do it at the end of the uh, at the end of it that he wouldn't be he would be wearing a mask. So there still is a hanging question mark as to whether it is Thomas Elliot. Mm. I think I it mean, is. I think yeah, it, I, think I think it pretty, is as well. Pretty um, And I, I think we can assume it is. But it's nonetheless there is that question mark that could ultimately get exploited um, down the line. Yeah, but I suppose. You know, maybe it just would have taken him too long to put back on the bandages, so he didn't want to take them off. <laughs> and his body is never recovered either. So, yeah. I mean, again, that's another aspect. Absolutely, no. That, that's pretty much guaranteed. There, there is a, there is a future Hush. We know there is. We know there's other other comics that feature the character Hush. But, uh, but I like that they, that he brings in Superman to essentially dredge the river with his eyes uh, <laughs> to find out whether Tommy has been, Tommy could be there or not. And he says he's probably just washed out to sea. Um, but yeah, very likely that he's that he's still alive. But yeah, you, you mentioned the other the other mastermind behind this uh, behind this plot is the Riddler, which is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it's a great. Again, the big reveal the big twist the trick and um, that's brought in is this whole riddle is down to the riddler and i think it's a really good way of using um uh, edward nigma the riddler mm-hmm. in the story he's one of those characters again you know sometimes certain characters can kind of get into a certain niche of how they behave or or maybe that they're not the the biggest foe, they get into a certain niche in terms of, you know, what they're expected to do, obviously do riddles yeah. in the case of the Riddler, which kind of maybe doesn't fit with all the storylines. Or maybe, you know, it's from a different age and for modern audiences, that just doesn't maybe connect in the same way. And I think this was a really good way of making the Riddler fresh and connect in with a real up-to-date um modern storyline of, of Batman. Yeah. And it was great to see this this reveal of the Riddler being um the overall uh, mastermind uh, and puppeteer for, um behind all of the actions of all these different uh, people. Yeah. Um it's very interesting to describe it describe it that way because I do like that that's how the Riddler describes himself. He essentially says when I came out first there was nobody doing any doing anything. Now everybody's got some kind of trick. Everybody's got some kind of uh, gimmick that they use. Um, mine was a riddle, and the put down from Batman to him is brilliant. Where he just says, "You know, what's the uh, what's what's the use in a riddle that everybody knows the answer to? You're useless, essentially." Is is his put down as he walks away from him? I think that's fantastic. Well, it's a put down, but it's a threat to him as mm-hmm. well because um, what we find from this um, exchange between Batman and, and the the Riddler is that it's the Riddler who's used the Lazarus pit to cure himself of cancer. And during this time in the pit and and his recovery, which can send people mad and delusional like Ra's al Ghul, Mm -hmm. then he had deduced Batman's identity uh, as Bruce Wayne. Mm -hmm. And so he was the one that was um, approaching all these villains. He approached Tommy Elliot to be the main focus of this attack on Batman. And Bruce Wayne ultimately says, my secret is safe because Riddler threatens to reveal his identity. And he uses that uh, put down, which is if you tell everyone the answer, whereas 
where, where you know where's the fun in that yeah you've lost your power and on the second point i'll tell razal gold that you used one of his lazarus pits yeah so he'll come and kill you yeah so exactly. you won't say anything i know you're not going to say anything and it's a really nice end i think to this whole saga yeah yeah absolutely the other thing i love is is just that just essentially riddler connecting the dots for batman is great you know where he says uh, that the reason why Killer Croc was involved was because they'd given him a virus which was giving him even worse mutations, essentially. So he was involved so that he could get the cure for that. They'd gotten Ivy involved because she had a bit of a thing for Celine, for Selena, and that she wanted to, she wanted the money, but she also wanted to mess with Selena Kyle. Um, that Harley Quinn was involved so that she could work with the Joker. That the Joker was involved because he no, wouldn't normally be involved. He was involved because he loved the joke the joke about uh, about Jason Todd coming back from the dead and wanted to see Bat's reaction to it, essentially. Yeah. So I think it's really, really good. Clayface came in it for the money, and then, as I said, Riddler was involved because he wanted to be a player again. He wanted to be someone that was taken seriously and a criminal mastermind again. So I love those whole that laying out of the story for Batman from uh, from Riddler. Uh, I thought that was really, really good, a good element. Yeah, it's it's really good, and it's even just that it connects back into when Batman kind of senses that the Riddler was the one criminal that wasn't acting abnormally. Um, he was doing what Batman would expect the Riddler to do. All the others weren't. Yeah, no, definitely really, really good. Um, there's only one other thing that I really want to talk about, I suppose, and for the, from the story uh, myself, which is kind of a really big lead-in from, from the Volume 1 uh, into Volume 2 is the relationship between Selina and Bruce. Batman has revealed to Catwoman that he is Bruce Wayne. He takes off the mask, he reveals it to her. And now this this essentially whole whole volume deals with their relationship after that revelation. So how how do Batman and Catwoman get along when they know each other's secret identity? Um he trusts her to watch over Talia when he when he kidnaps her um and protect her from uh sorry, sorry, keep her essentially, uh, even under an attack from the League of Assassins, which is yeah. which is pretty huge. He also shows her all his scars uh, that he's gotten and all the ones he's kept over the years, um, which is a really good, a really good sequence from Jim Lee as well. I love the artwork it's where he's showing lovely, off all the scars. Yeah. And the, you've got the cat claws across his, across his chest on the side of his heart, actually, which yeah. was a really nice touch. Um, but that was a really lovely set of um, sequences and dialogue connected to the artwork mm-hmm. where, yeah. It kind of goes to a kind of almost like black and white where he, when he shows the scars yeah. um, from all the different um, nemesis, whether it's from a gunshot or like from a scratch from from Catwoman. Yeah, yeah no, that yeah. was excellent. That was really, really good. Um, but then, you know, the, the issues end with with Selena saying, essentially, don't worry about it, Bruce. I'm here for you. I trust you. Hush. And the minute she says it, that turns Bruce on. Uh, onto thinking that she may be involved as well uh, in this whole element. So is the relationship over now? Yeah, I mean, it is that lost love of um, Batman and Catwoman here, which I kind of, I shed a little tear, I think, Mm. um, when um, it it failed to really uh, take hold um, by the end of... You're a real romantic. Yeah, I am really. (laughs) Um, I was like, ah, Selina, why did you have to just say that four-letter word? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like um, it does. It it provokes a real fierce reaction um, from the Batman, and it does. It just leaves that hanging doubt that well, she was involved, and I what did she get from the Riddler yeah. out of all of this? Um, 
And you would deduce that she probably was, because that is Batman's thing with Catwoman, is this idea that there is that love that maybe can't go anywhere, and it was beginning to go places. But you deduce that she was involved in the plot and the plot was No, I'm not saying that she... I don't know, I but I, I can see that if we're saying that all the other people were involved mm-hmm. for various reasons, this may have been that she actually did want to have that moment with Batman, mm-hmm. that embrace, that kiss, um, this whole um, romantic, um, strange romantic, but romantic entanglement with, with the Batman. And that was what she was being sold on. Because she goes along all the way through, you know, really helping him. I'm not saying she didn't want it anyway, Mm -hmm. but this was where she knew she definitely could get it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Um, So, overall, would you recommend the the book for for I would recommend it. I think I would give um, Hush Volume 2... Three and a half, four bandages out of five. And I think overall, um, Hush, I would definitely give us four um, Batarangs out of five. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, for me, I think it's it, it, it's just that personal connection with a, a childhood friend of Bruce's. You do not see that very often at all. Uh, having a story like this written by an, an excellent writer like Jeff Loeb um, and with artwork, as we talked about many times from Jim Lee, I think it's fantastic. It's one that I can't do without. And I also would say it's a great jumping on point for anybody who's uh, who's not read every comic out there. Uh, I think they explain the connections between every single villain and Batman and every single one of his friends from Superman all the way through to all the way through to Catwoman uh, and Riddler and Joker. And everybody has their connections. He, he explains it all the way. So you could just pick this up read these two volumes and not have to read any other book. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's a brilliant potted history of Batman and his acquaintances. And I think that's one of the the big themes that runs through it is um, his friends, his friendships, his relationships, his um, acquaintances, his adversaries. All of that. Mm -hmm. um, It's a real web of of all those relationships, um, of love, of, of conflict, of hate, um, between him as Batman and his close acquaintances and his villainous acquaintances. And that is a really good um, aspect uh, to this as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, only one other thing that just jumped to mind there when I was thinking back on, on reading Hush, one great scene with Alfred, which I just thought was hilarious, where, uh, where Bruce is trying to chase him down and trying to find out if Alfred's in the house and goes, Alfred, you're here. And Alfred says... Well, as the world's greatest detective, I probably shouldn't point it out to you, but yes, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great, a great little moment, and I could almost see Sean Pertwee talking, talking like that to uh, to to young Bruce. Um, but yeah, I really like that. Uh, anything else from you on Hush? Um, no, I mean. The only thing which was slightly weird is we do get introduced to Lex Luthor here. I mean, talk about um, every possible connection with Batman. Um, this one seems slightly out of left field. Um, to the extent that, yes, there was a reason why he was introduced that, um, you know, as the president now of the United States of America, mm-hmm. he couldn't be the um, CEO of LexCorp. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, Talia Al Ghul who is the CEO of LexCorp. So when she gets kidnapped by Batman, held by Catwoman out of the way, whilst Batman tracks down Raz Al Ghul, who he thinks is 
um, involved and is the mastermind behind the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a brief shot of Lex Luthor at, at the White House, and I just kind of thought that was the only unnecessary bit. I think I know me. what you mean. I know what you mean. It's one of those ones where it puts it in it puts it in its time, I suppose, or in its in essentially when it was published. That's at the time when Lex Luthor was president of uh, of the U.S. So, um, so I'm sure it was just connecting into other issues that were out, that were out that month, just to to have him in there, really. But you're right, totally unnecessary. The other interesting uh, fact as well on this was that another six issues were scheduled, and they never um, they never happened. Mm, so harsh. the whole aspect of um, Tommy Elliot or Hush falling from the river and his body not being found. That may have potentially played out in these further six um, issues that were originally planned to come off the back of the current 12 that we have. So that's kind of interesting um, that that didn't happen. And I suppose ultimately we'll never know. But uh, it's it's interesting that such a big story arc that actually now has um, not only is it a popular piece with with readers it's critically acclaimed Isn't it as considered well. one of the top 10 Abs- yeah absolutely um that they didn't do an extra six it's it interesting it is it is very interesting but you know there is uh there is one thing that did come out of the book uh which, which i i read in my research today um jason todd so apparently they retconned his uh so they they essentially rewrote history uh based on this story, saying that actually Jason Todd was revived, did come back to life, and just switched places with Clayface for that final battle with Batman. So that's how Jason Todd is back in, uh, was back in the universe, essentially, in the, in the DC universe. That's the, they, they took it from this story, essentially. So, but that, that was quite interesting. And that is interesting, because one of the troubling things for Batman at the end of the of his interrogation of the Riddler, when we find out that the Riddler is the big mastermind, is that the man he fought at the graveyard was obviously revealed to be Clayface, but Jason Todd's remains were still missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that is, again, a big question mark, a big mystery that is held over this Speaking of question marks, it's obviously the Riddler's mm-hmm. symbol. Um, and there are a few left um, over from the end of this this series of comics. Yeah, yeah, but definitely enjoyed it regardless of the uh, regardless of the questions. And uh, it just makes me want to read more Batman as Absolutely. always, which is great. Yeah. Uh, always, a good, always a good sign. So I think that's it for a review. Yeah. So with that, on to the news in its new location. John, do you have the first bit of news for this week? Yeah, so the Dollmaker. So the Dollmaker from episode two um, of Gotham uh, will appear in the show. And it's Colin Ferrari, who played King Laufey in Thor and has also appeared in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And he's making this trek across from uh, Marvel into DC as the Dollmaker. Mm -hmm. And so... We've seen the Dollmaker already on TV, um, and that's been on uh, Arrow, season one of Arrow. Uh, but we don't know whether there's going to be any similarities between the two. I would suspect not. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's certainly a different actor playing the role. Uh, but 
I'm intrigued to see how the Dollmaker plays out, and I'm really pleased. We had a few theories when we recorded episode two on the Dollmaker. That's right. About how that was going to fit into the overall story. And I think later on in the um, episode on Viper, again, the dark undertones within the Wayne Corporation um, and references made by Fish Mooney to do with um, kids on the streets um and them going dis- and them going missing, mm-hmm. all this that maybe it would connect in with the doll maker at a future episode, yeah. and so maybe it will yeah. now that we've got confirmation that he is cast and will be appearing. Yeah, you had some theories that he was the uh, the creator of Venom and that he was giving it to kids on the streets to uh, to create a, a Bane army, wasn't it? That was, mm-hmm. that, was your, that was your idea. I think that was really good. Uh, yeah, the character was mentioned by uh, by his two henchmen who were the the creepy. Uh, Characters who catch talking like they're from the twenties, essentially. Uh, in episode two, uh, delighted to see that we're we're going to get some a, a big arching connection from episode two all the way to episode fifteen. I think he's in there, fifteen or sixteen. I think he's in. Um, but yeah, good, an interesting piece of news there, definitely. Uh, in other casting news for another DC property, the character of of Supergirl has been cast. Uh, Melissa Benoist from yeah. uh, probably most recently seen in Glee. Uh, and the movie Whiplash uh, has been cast to play uh, play Supergirl. So Supergirl is going to be a CBS series. They have said the character could cross over with CBS's younger brother, the CW, which broadcasts both Arrow and Flash. So we could see the character uh, crossing over there. But it's it's again one of those ones where they're saying, let's see how the show goes. Let's yeah. make it its own series. They're not scheduling it like they did with Arrow and Flash with a crossover within the first four or five episodes or anything like that. And it seems like it would be quite a, a very different universe when you're talking about Krypton and superpowers as opposed to... Um, bow and arrows. Bow and arrows. Well, yeah. I suppose speed is a superpower. So yeah. uh, so the Flash is definitely a superpowered uh, hero. But, uh, but yeah, it's quite a, quite an interesting... Yeah, it, it should be an, a really interesting um, series. Given how successful Smallville was, of course, Superman as well with Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher at the time... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Superman TV or Supergirl TV, I suppose, has been successful. Yeah. It really has, and I'm interested to see how this does because I suspect it could be a real, uh, a real winner for CBS. Yeah, definitely, definitely. No, I really, really intrigued. Is there any other news for this week, Tim? No, that's all the news for for this week. I think. Excellent, excellent. Well, thanks again for listening. As always, uh, you can get in contact with us at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Gotham TV Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, on Tumblr, uh, Instagram, Gotham TV Podcast. Put that in the search and hit enter, and hopefully we will pop up on the screen. Like our page on Facebook, um, plus one us on Google+, follow us on Twitter. Um, we're, we're here to um, answer any comments, get involved with the show. Any thoughts of Hush from your point of view? Any thoughts on... Uh, Gotham and how you think that's going to develop and uh, moving towards um, the rest of the season um, and up to episode 22 mm-hmm. then give us a shout uh, let us know your thoughts what do you think of um, Colin Ferrari uh, being cast as the Dollmaker are you excited to see this character on uh, on Gotham I think we are I think it's a really sort of dark intriguing character but again we want to say thank you so much for listening and we'll be back in two weeks time 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and you'll get our next episode straight off when it, uh, when it comes out. But thanks again for listening. We'll leave you with a bit of Hush by Coolish Shaker. The song couldn't get out of my head when I was reading this book. So enjoy. Thank you. TV podcast, do not cross Alan and Montoya. <laughs> I mean, given how successful Smallville was, um, given how successful Superman uh, was with mm-hmm. um, Terry Thatcher and Terry Margaret Thatcher, <laughs> um, with Margaret Thatcher in the lead role of Lois Lane, <laughs> no. Um, no, with Terry Hatcher and... <laughs> Hatchet. Terry Hatchet job. Um Uh, any other news for this week? Is there any other news for this week, John? No, there isn't. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo!